In a short period of time, the ION train has become an icon in Waterloo Region. Far and wide, there's been general praise for the planning, construction, and operation of the ION in the region. A brief scan of older headlines from areas like Hamilton, London, and Ottawa show how difficult it is to get an undertaking of this size built and operational. Of course, you'll find detractors. A project like this will and did cause a lot of disruption and displacement for property owners and businesses, but ION ridership was strong and growing out the gate, boosting transit ridership in general. Development numbers exceeded expectations. The ION was doing what the planners and supporters had hoped it would do for our community in terms of development upward, not out, providing for business and commercial development and, importantly, residential development along the line, contributing to the protection of our countryside, something that we in Waterloo Region hold as precious above many other things. I was honored to be at the opening of the ION. It was a wonderful day in June with many speeches. I said then, and I'll say now, there was one glaring omission, and that was some of the words from my guest today, the man I consider to be the godfather of the ION. In this episode, we're going to talk about the genesis of the ION and the ride, rough and smooth, to keep this project on the tracks and get it started out of the gates. And we'll touch on the current state of transit in these pandemic times. I'm pleased to welcome my friend, Ken Sealing, for his second visit to the Old Grey Mayors podcast. Ken, welcome. Welcome to be back again. Yeah, it's good to have you. How have you been keeping? Well, I can't complain. I do miss the job. I have to admit that. And uh, it's been about yes. a year and a half. And uh, I, I still think I could be happy doing it, but uh, time to move on and to let others take over the reins. You know, it's interesting you talk about that. I'm the same way. I mean, uh, I know I spent four years at it and I was saying I was only going to do the four years, but I actually, I love the job so much. And I think a lot of people don't realize um, how great an opportunity you have in the position as a local municipal representative to be able to uh, contribute and help build your community. I, I'm sure that's uh, your sentiment. Well, it's always, uh, you know, we've always been a part of the community. And I, I think what I've seen over the years, particularly in Waterloo region, uh, a lot of people get into this business, for lack of a better term, uh, because they have a, a, a hope for the future for their region. They, they, they love what they have. They want yeah. to protect it and they want to move forward. They want to make sure they protect what they've got. Yeah. And I think um, you're, I remember uh, in chatting with you, I mean, your motivation was what can you do for your children and grandchildren uh, in this community? And uh, I sort of, my, my route to politics was kind of similar through the uh, community center in air, as, as you know about, and that was really for the kids and our future too. So it was always that sort of, what can you do? And, and seems to be a common theme for a lot of people about how they first get involved in politics is usually through some community involvement that leads to uh, becoming an elected official and then growing from there. Right. The irony was that I started out, I always did local recreation work, but uh, I was on the uh, lay member of the recreation committee and we really needed to do work on the arena and do something to upgrade it. And the only way to get it done was to get on council. So that's yeah. how I get started. That's 
That's why we're kindred spirits, Ken, because we both have that sports, uh, sports uh, background. <laughs> but, you know, today we're going to talk about um, the ION and, and sort of like the, 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 the history, more the history of the ION, right, in terms of how it developed and some of the trials and tribulations along the way to make it happen. Because, I mean, as I said in my intro, when you look at places like Hamilton, London, Ottawa, now, I know Ottawa has one, but certainly the the operation of it has been uh, quite a struggle. But some places can't even get off the ground in terms of getting it to happen. What do you, what do you think was one of the keys here in, in Waterloo Region to getting at least the, 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 the concept moving? Well, I think um, this region has, has been a, had a long history of, I think, good land use planning and concern about uh, what I call the stewardship. That this, this bit of a Mennonite background, this sense of stewardship but right. it was in more than just social services, it was in the actually land use planning. And so we see some of the strongest land use planning in Ontario, starting in the, in the, in the uh, what was the County of Waterloo uh, back in the 1950s and 60s. And then it culminates in the 19, uh, 1970s when the region is created and is charged with creating a regional plan. And that's all premised on the sense of stewardship, protecting, um, enhancing what we've got, making sure that we don't become one big urban sprawling mass. And so that's been sort of embedded in it. And we've had a lot of community support for it. I think, I think that um, given the geography of the region and the nature of the people that are here, it was e easier to coalesce people around some of these ideas because they, they right. held it in, in common. And uh, so I think uh, in many ways, we were um, very lucky to have the community we have that, that rose up to these challenges and wanted to yes. challenge, take them on. And that spirit, which you know from way back continues today with uh, a lot of people in terms of the events and the concerns that they have for what's going on in, in the community. Well, it sure is because, and I say that if you have the, an hour someday of my, my old lecture about what makes Waterloo different than other places, it's this combination of this sense of stewardship that comes out of the Mennonite tradition with yeah. this entrepreneurialism and drive and initiative out of the Germanic community that it sort of comes together and drives this community forward. So it moves ahead, always looking forward, very practical, very utilitarian, but at the same time, isn't leaving people and issues behind. Isn't that how Berlin got the post office over Galt? <laughs> the the county, county seat, right? Yeah, the county seat. They got outmaneuvered. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's for another day. Maybe I'll have you and Doug on together. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but let's talk about ION. So, so it's interesting as I'm, you know, as I research for these podcasts and, 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 and I go back in time, it's like, you know, I see, you know, we're called Waterloo County up until 72, 73, and it's the region of Waterloo. But I was noting that the, the, the Waterloo County was, was it, it didn't include Kitchener or Cambridge at the time? Was it Waterloo and the townships? Well, uh, the, the counties, when they were structured in 1853, everybody was part of it. But as, as the urban municipalities grew in size, they withdrew from the county. They had joint relationships. So Kitchener was the first to withdraw as a separated municipality, and and Galt then ultimately did, and then ultimately Waterloo did. And uh, so, they, although they were separated, they didn't sit on county council. They did have some joint arrangements, for example, for the for the um, for, for Sunnyside, where the House of Industry at that time, uh, some of the joint road commissions and things like that. So they worked together in some of those things, but they were separated. And so what regional government did in 1973 was said, you can't have all this growth and have separate municipalities. Somebody's got to be doing this together. So I've pulled the cities back into the, into the old county system. and It's really a restructured county, pulling yeah. the cities back in. So they weren't separated any longer. 
So was that a was that a kicking and screaming event, or was everyone just uh, kumbaya? Well, it, it, it's sort of interesting. If you take a look back at the time, the government was pretty fixated on and getting something done. They sent the Fife Commission in, and there were differences of opinion on how they did it. But I think that um, when I take a look back at it, there were people who were not happy with it. But by the same token, uh, there was a, a pretty fair degree of support for bringing it all together. And I think Jack Young was a, an ideal first chairman. He pulled it together. Right. You get, right. you get some pullback, but I think it was a, um, it wasn't all that bad. There are people who, you know, we want to continue to live as we did in the past and not move forward. But I think it uh, was probably fairly well received. So you did you start in 73 then with the region? No, I, I uh, went to the region, I get in 1979, I think it was when I became. 79, Trump. okay. All right. So let's talk about ION then. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, it's like, you know, you child the glimmer in your daddy's eye, so to speak. ION was, uh, you'd said it's a line on a map, basically, to start. Right. Well, so uh, when we, the region had a, a regional official plan, uh, the very first one in the province of Ontario. They were, that was one of the tasks they had. It was one of the few that rose to the challenge of doing it. So in 1976, they, they created a regional plan. What, and part of the targets of that regional plan were really to, to create what they call urban envelopes for the urban municipalities to stop sprawl to some degree, okay. at least li limit where the urban growth were, were going to go. And it also created environmental policies, which had never existed before, environmental protection agencies. That was the first in Ontario, these uh, areas, I should say. Um, and that was the first in Ontario. And so that plan, uh, as amended, lasted right up until the, uh, the late 1990s. But by the late time I got the late 1990s, um, I, I was in office then, and I was thinking like Waterloo was virtually bumping up against their boundaries, what was going right. to happen. And, and within the new regional framework, under the old system, there would have been an annexation, they would have just spread out. But in right. the regional framework, the whole idea was that the services are centralized at the region, there's no need for annexations, people had to live with the boundaries they had. So the question was, what were we going to do when we get reached those limits? Uh, and so right. I, I went to regional council. I said, look, we've got to uh, create a new regional plan. We've got to decide how we're going to manage this growth that's being forecast for us. So the region undertook for a period of three years this uh, growth management strategy work and came up with a plan that we came up with that had actually re created green belts around the region, limited urban growth, and uh, tried to concentrate growth. So the question then was, how do you do that? And if, you, right. if, you're, if you're a traditional planner, you know that... Um, planning is really premised on transportation. You really have, transportation is the key to that. And so Jerry Thompson, who was the CAO at that time, Jerry Thompson had been the uh, a, a transportation planner back in 1976 at the region when the re first regional plan was created. And Bill Thompson was the commissioner of planning at that time. And in that plan, they had actually put a line on the map, which went all the way from Galt right up into Waterloo, which was a sort of a central transit corridor. So, the region didn't have responsibility for transit at that time, but they put it in the plan. Yeah, so, okay, so, so they put in a plan for a centralized line, but at the time, transit was the responsibility of individual cities. Right. So, so Kitchener did, did transit, and they, they contracted with Waterloo to do Waterloo, and then Cambridge did their own transit down the south end. So, but they, they had put this line on the map as sort of a future, futuristic uh, tool that in the future we could have some sort of central transit corridor in the region. Let me hold you for a sec. Let me just, yeah. I just want to interrupt you for a second. So this line in the map, would it have been something akin to when we had the old electric line going through Kitchener, for example? 
part of it. Part of it would be part of it was the rail line in the north end that the uh, the C CN line going up into Elmira through Waterloo and from Kitchener up into Elmira, CN, and then some of the old lines going down in. But it, it, it showed that it was feasible to have a corridor that was rail based. So and back back then though, was there thought that this was something that would assist with the whole issue of sprawl, like to to well, I, I, I really can't go in. I don't know the minds of Jerry and Bill at that time, but I think, I think they, were, they were drawing urban envelopes. They were saying, in the future, rail transit could be important to this region, so sure. let's provide for it with this, with this transit corridor that we've, we sort of roughly defined in the map. Because you, so could see, we, you could see in other cities, for example, like Toronto or what have you, that would have a subway system and how development grew right. around the hubs of those situations. Right. So when we hit the 2003, we, we had this plan and we said, okay, if we're going to concentrate growth, force growth upward and not outward, what's the tool to use? And so transit then became the tool. And Jerry Thompson, who had been the planner back then, was now the CAO. And we looked and said, well, transit is going to be our tool to create this concentration. So I, I remember one day, uh, Jerry called me down to his boardroom and he said, I want to show you something. And so he had on his table uh, a, a map of the entire region with a central trans with a transit corridor marked on it all the way up and down with a convention center and all the possibilities that could take place along this corridor. All planned out. All planned out. Wow. I, sa I said to him, I said, Jared, do you expect me to sell this? <laughs> <laughs> what was your, what was your, okay. What was your, okay. What did he respond to that? And then I'm going to ask you uh, a question. Uh, he said, if we're going to concentrate growth, this is the only way we can do it. That we need this tool to do it. So and when you said you expect me to sell it, what was running through your mind in terms of the issues that you were going to have to deal with for that sort of thing? Well, I, at that time, I really didn't fully comprehend what all the issues would be. Obviously, financing would be the main issue. Yeah. Um, we, we had just recently, um, we had just recently, within the last few years, taken over transit at the regional level. Right. Uh, so that, 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 and that took place uh, because during the 1990s, we were trying to get a transit linkage between Cambridge and the KW communities. And the two transit systems, uh, they wouldn't, uh, they kept saying, leave it to us. Don't, don't interfere. We know you have a provision in your act to allow you to do transit, but we, we won't agree with it. Let it leave with us. So we sat four or five years and nothing happened. And then in the late 90s, um, when the uh, Harris government came along yep. and said, said, you either reform yourselves and get something going or we're going to do it for you. Uh, the cities uh, threw up the transit system as one of the... Yeah, and I just want to mention... Defense for, mechanism. Yes, and I just want to mention for anyone listening, the, uh, the last podcast you and I did, we did an extensive talk about that whole uh, discussion about the Harris amalgamation and eventually the, the, the plan B, the schedule A or schedule B, right. and all of that sort of thing. So, so now you end up with transit. So things are starting to actually kind of come into place come together so with the region the region assumes its role as, as the lead agency for trans, transit and transportation in the region and we begin to work on the on the scheme so we do a, a feasibility study on the route uh, we take a look what the options are and over the next few years we um, we finalize environmental assessment we had community consultations uh, and came down finally came down to a plan that we could agree on uh, by and large by a large majority of council with a great deal me, of community support. And, yeah, let me uh, ask you though, before you get too far down the line. So 
first of all, I was curious where the convention center was located on that plan. <laughs> there was actually a, a, a potential for a, a, a joint um, in the very first plan, and this was all this is just a schematic saying where sure. the potential. Yeah, it's, it's green balling. But, but the the the, the, Ep, the Epton site in Kitchener, which was the tire manufacturing plant, was sitting vacant at that particular time, oh. right across right across from uh, where a potential new uh, transit hub could be. Right, right. So right. that and that was just one option that, that, that could be considered. It, it 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 very quickly fell off the table because the convention center was obviously for for all of us was a sort of a bit of a flashpoint that really sure. couldn't garner given our seven municipalities and the, the sort of the bit of parochialism that existed, we it couldn't garner any support for a system that, that envisaged. Is that your plug for a, is that your plug for amalgamation? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> and uh, so that was on there and it you know sort of linked to hospitals and you know a whole variety of things. So yep. so we began there and we did the environmental assessment. We did a great deal of community planning. We went out there I think what was really interesting during that whole process was uh, we were very fortunate having a lot of uh, community support, uh, both eight, like eight groups as, as diverse as the Federation of Agriculture saw this as saving farmlands. Yeah. The uh, the uh, transit support students, all the students groups, and some of those transit uh, uh, proponents pushing for this. Uh, there was pretty widespread support. And I remember we were doing open houses to do the planning for the route. We went and we, we, we well, I remember the first United, I think it was one night we were there and we put all these maps out and give everybody magic markers. And one, one, one of those nights we actually had to shut the doors. We couldn't get any more people and oh, wow. participate. Uh, so I, I don't think there was, um, I, I remember some people say, Chris, I, well, there's not much consultation. I don't, I don't remember any meetings that were as well attended my whole time in the region as there were. Yeah. A planning meetings for the, for the transit system. So this would have been the early 2000s, right? When the early we, 2000s, right. When this was going on. So once we got the stage of having a, a, an approved route, um, we then a, a, uh, we then applied to the, both the provincial government and the federal governments for funding for it. And at that time, uh, it was conceived, was that the general practice that projects like this would be a third, a third, a third, third project, right. a third local, a third federal. Uh, we went through that process. Um, partway through that process, the province came to town one day and announced they were going to pay two thirds. So yeah, so let me, okay, so let me just just hold off one second. I know I, I, we'll get to that in one second. First, I want to ask the the approved route from those initial consultations was right. it similar to what we have now? I know it's not the complete route because we were talking Cambridge probably back then. Well, the actual the route that we approved back then actually had a Cambridge portion to it as well. Yes, I understand. But it was yeah. the, the Kitchener-Waterloo portion that we have today similar yes. to what it was back yeah. then? Yeah, because that, that's what came through the environmental assessment. Okay. So that, that was what was sent off then to the government. So then what's, what, what was the cost figure you were dealing with for that from, from Waterloo to Cambridge? Um, well, it, it depends at what point at, depends at what point you ask the question because initially when we began this process we thought this was a two or three hundred million dollar project okay. but when we actually got, did the roots when we got the route finalized and we actually had the costing done and how complex it was in some areas the, yeah. the, the, the final tally came in about 800 and i think 830 million dollars if i'm not mistaken so was this this before you got the initial federal provincial money this year the estimated cost was around 830 Yes, because they, they, the federal and provincial contributions were based on our final final estimates. Okay, because um, I think I had down, what was it, the feds came through with 300 million at the time? 
approximately. I don't have numbers in here in front of me. I just, just quite I think the province. I think I noted it was like about two sixty five or something like that. Right. So yeah. I had noted down. So, so at, at various stages along the way, the um, so the the province at, at the later stage then retreated to their one third, uh, which meant we then we had to ante up our one third. Uh, but to their credit, uh, the provincial government then came along. I went to visit Dalton one day, and um, we got an additional thirty or forty million dollars because we wanted to be treated the same as Ottawa was in their funding. And right. then subsequent to that, in the final stages, uh, Kathleen Wynne actually gave us another thirty or forty million dollars on top of it. So okay. the share was it really wasn't quite a third, a third, a third. It was just slightly off that because the province came along and gave a bit more money. And, and you mentioned Ottawa with Dalton McGinty because he's from the Ottawa area, correct? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my pitch to Dalton at that time was we only want we want the same deal as Ottawa's getting, same split as Ottawa's getting. Well, we'll talk about conflicts later and stuff like that, but because <laughs> that kind of was part of this story too. Right. <laughs> so, 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 two thousand around two thousand and nine is when um, you're you're seeking the funding, which yeah. is pre the twenty ten election. Yeah. And the announcements come through. And was the perception, like the, the, my recollection seemed to be that you didn't quite get all the money you wanted, but if you're going with a one-third, one-third, one-third concept, isn't this pretty well close to what you needed? Well, we, we, had, we had pretty well what we needed. Uh, the, the federal contribution was the last one to come. And uh, so it, it, timing's a, it's, everything's a matter of timing. And so the federal government sort of had been waffling and Sort of dragging their feet a little bit, and we yeah. we actually got a lot of help from people like Peter Braid, who was the, M, the Waterloo MP at that time. Yeah, Peter Braid, yes, the Kitchener and Center, right? A lot of help to us, and, yeah. it, and it, was, it was helpful that there was a federal uh, election coming along because the the federal government was interested in the two of the ridings, uh, wanting to hang on to two of the ridings, <laughs> and so the the prime minister came to town and announced their 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 share of the costing as well. So. As I say, sometimes in this business, timing means a lot, and the sure. timing of elections uh, is, is helpful. Yeah, it's it's fortunate, unfortunate, I guess, but yes. uh, good good for the region. So the feds came through first, though, right? And then the province came after. No, the uh, province came first. And, okay. And okay. Yeah. So they came through with their amount. Feds came through with theirs. Yeah. But you weren't expecting them to fully fund between the two of them, were you? Uh, well, well, we weren't, and then the, then the province came along with this. They were going to fund two thirds, and oh. then they then they backed out of that again. Oh, okay. We went so back created, to one third, one third, one third. Right. So they created an expectation, and then yeah. that kind of took some wind out of the sails. Yep. I, well, I, I remember the press conference at the uh, Kitchener Transit Center where the uh, premier came to town and announced they were doing two thirds, but it didn't last all that long. <laughs> Was there no provincial election in the? <laughs> no. <laughs> there was probably at the time of the announcement, the original <laughs> announcement. <laughs> so we'll talk about Cambridge later on because it's a little more relevant in terms of the, right. some of the voting that happened down the road. But at the time that this was going on and, and you had your route and, and the initial expectation is Waterloo down to Cambridge, I guess there was general region-wide support for the um, transit proposal. Well, I, I think there, there generally was, except it became very early on, it became evident very early on that we couldn't afford, we couldn't afford uh, to do the whole thing at one time. Mm -hmm. And that uh, with the Cambridge leg, we couldn't make a business case for volumes of, of traffic at that. 
Is this, is this, at what point was that though? Was this after, like after 2010 or like in 2010? This is before, this is before 2010 when we're finalizing our ask to the government because our ask to the government was based oh. mainly on the North End. Because, okay. So, so the funding so I, was based just on the North End proposal. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Because the preliminary estimates we had there was that uh, the Cambridge Leg, as you uh, can appreciate, is river crossings, 401 crossings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, um, the, uh, the Cambridge Leg was going to cost actually more, about a billion dollars, relative to the eight something for, oh. for the north end. Right. Yet it would only produce about 20 to 25% of the ridership. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and the, the federal government um, and the provincial government required a business case justification for the funding. Yes. And we couldn't make a business case for the south leg. And we knew that it was a, just a, a stretch too far to ask that level of funding, particularly when it weakened the business case for the overall. So we, we uh, agreed as a council that uh, let's build what, what we can build and we'll build a second phase uh, once we get uh, our ducks in a row. Well, see, the listeners should be assured that the, reassured that these things aren't done on a whim. There's an actual business case that's hey, right. Uh, and I, I remember at the time the discussion when we were doing the routing and, and making that decision. Uh, when we originally did the route study, we originally started to do the route study for the North End. It was Doug, it was the Mayor Craig who said, "Look, I understand. I'm you know, he may take issue with me, but uh, I remember very clearly the regional council meeting when he said, "Look, I understand that this may not be feasible. The whole thing." but at least do the, do the full root study right up front so we know that it will come eventually to us. And so regional council amended the terms of reference at that time to do the right. full root study as opposed to doing just the north end root study. And you, and you know what, and, and, and I can see that as being a fair proposition because then Cambridge, you know, the, the, the politicians, the leaders can say, look, we, here is something in the works, but we have to work towards it. And there's an actual route here or some concept of a route that we can go towards. And, and I think from the, uh, the rest of the regional council's perspective that the Cambridge have been treated pretty fairly. Uh, when the region took over transit in 2000, Cambridge had been shrinking their transit system as, oh. a, as a cost saving measure. Right, so right, right. When, when, when the region took over transit, it, it took a huge investment of money to try and rebuild the Cambridge transit system yeah. and, and subsidy for the Cambridge transit system. So I think the, the councillors from the north end felt, look, we're we're all sharing this together, and Cambridge yeah. is getting a huge benefit in the, in the overall transit thing. Right. Uh, right. We're never if 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 you, you take the the position that um, if you take the position that if Cambridge can't have it in first phase, nobody should have it. Well, that didn't that didn't serve us well either. That seemed to be the sentiment near the end. But at the time when you were first getting funding approved or finalizing your proposal to go to the to, to the feds and the provincial government and get some funding, was there? Was there like an opposing vote from the Cambridge core on the original concept, like in 09 or 08, 09? Well, I think the, um, there was, we weren't getting a lot of support. <laughs> but but yeah. you would have had a vote, right? At some we point. had votes to move the project forward and they were, they were overwhelmingly supported. Oh, so there was, there, okay, so it wasn't unanimous. No, we had, we had one Northern mayor came on board who, I will won't get into my reason why I think the reasons were, but who didn't support the project? But oh, back uh, back in 08, back in 09? Yeah, but uh, the other two regional councillors from Waterloo did support the project. Yeah, because because you had a northern mayor who who voted against it later on. Yes, uh, yep, through two terms. Yep. <laughs> oh, it was the same person? Yes. 
Oh, right. Yes, you're right. <laughs> We're going to talk about Brenda as well. She'll come up. <laughs> I mean, it's part of the history of the ion, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And that's always an interesting, interesting concept to me. So, okay. So now we have the, so you have the funding announcements. There's a bit of a, a sense and, and, and me, I'm, I'm in, look at, I grew up in Waterloo and all of that, but I wasn't really attuned to this because in 93, I moved out to North Dumfries. So I was like hanging out in air. And so I really wasn't watching too much what was going on about the uh, transit debate and all of that. But my general sense from just reading the newspaper or what have you was that there was a bit of a lit down in terms of the uh, amount of funding and that there was a, a thought perhaps that um, the concept or the idea was in jeopardy going into the 2010 election in, in terms of people running during 2010 had the view that 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 it was dead in the water. That was my sense anyway. I don't know what your view was back then. No, I think I think most of the councillors ran on moving ahead with the project. The funding okay. was pretty much in place. I don't recall. I mean, we did go back and get a little bit more funding, uh, a couple tens of millions of dollars. But, right, but the right. project was pretty much in place, and it was an issue in that election. And everybody who supported the everybody who supported the project got reelected. So there was yeah. no. There was no, no uh, I, price to be paid for that. Because I remember I was, I was doing the, you know, it's my first time running and I'm in the Rogers debate with Kim. And uh, one of the reporters asks a question, uh, asks me a question about, uh, about this. And, I, and I'm like, I don't know. I said, it, I thought it was dead in the water. I remember saying that. And then we talked about uh, trying to get transit and something for seniors in our area because I said, it's not really an issue for us uh, from that perspective. Although I, I didn't really appreciate back then as I do now the uh, protection of the uh, countryside lands. You know, I've, I learned a lot during those four years uh, about a lot of things in, in uh, Waterloo region and all the good things that were happening. But it didn't really dawn on me uh, back then uh, about those sorts of issues. But I remember, uh, you know, the inauguration, inauguration night. Uh, so Jan was January 2010 or whenever, or December, or it, I forget now. December. December, yeah. So, and your 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 maiden speech, we'll say, right, uh, for that council, and it taught it was very much focused on, we've got to push ahead with this. We've got the money. We can't turn it down. We got to move forward. So, obviously, yeah. there must have been some underlying issues that were going on from a political local per political perspective that you were concerned about or wanted to make sure were not going to hinder movement on this project. Yeah, I, I think I think my position at that time was the election had reaffirmed all those who support the project. Uh, I had been reelected. Um, now, now we had to move on the project. We had the funding in place. Uh, things were, were rolling along and we had to get the next stage going. So Yeah, okay. So you saw 2010 as a referendum on LRT? <laughs> well, yeah, it's sort of interesting because I remember during two or three, uh, back, at, back in 2015, 14, I guess, you know, people say, well, we never had a voice on this. I said, well, I ran on three elections on, on our team. Was elected yeah, we'll we'll talk about, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on Jay in 2014, but uh, yeah, 2010, I don't know. You didn't really have too much competition back then. So, but people had the opportunity. I mean, they, they could have, there, there was a group actually organizing, wanting to run people against it and they weren't successful. In, yeah. In, they, in they try to run like a Waterloo, a Waterloo regional council positions and that sort yep. of thing. Yep, there were uh, there were different people yeah. that were running who who were opposed to it, and uh, so yeah, and and Sean Strickland and and Jane Mitchell got reelected. Yep, and in yeah, Kitchener so. there were people. Yeah, so yeah, I, yes. I think the election confirmed the direction we were going. 
Yeah. The North Dumfries, North Dumfries election was about a community center. So we weren't. Uh, <laughs> but okay. So now we're 2010. I remember, uh, I remember this too in December. Let's touch on conflicts for a quick second. So in December of uh, 2010, um, I, I remember being at home watching a news cast and they're talking about the ION or the, you know, they're talking about light rail transit. And I remember seeing a picture that showed, and it, it showed my building <laughs> on there, right. right on Duke Street. And I go, wow, I think I have a conflict. <laughs> and that was the first realization that I had that, you know, there was this uh, potential conflict that I had uh, regarding this. And it was very interesting. I remember some of the uh, counselors, uh, one mayor in particular said, well, no, that's just an interest in common. And I said, I don't know, I don't think so. And uh, that led to a whole lot of I know you ended up declaring conflict and Tom and uh, even Doug, Craig, Tom Galloway and Doug Craig declared conflicts. It was kind of an interesting time with respect to that. Well, it was. So at, at, because at that time we, that the conflict was do you or any of your family own property within 800 meters of the, uh, of the lines? So we, we paid all these high priced lawyers to say, give us an opinion. And they wouldn't give us an opinion. And the way they, uh, that one way or the other, and the way, the way the law was crafted was that if you were found to be in conflict, you were automatically chirped out of office. There wasn't any gray area at all. And so we, we, uh, we, we declared conflicts in an abundance of caution because the high priced firms couldn't give us a clear answer. And give, yeah. given the fact that some people uh, might use this as a way of get, uh, attacking the project or attacking us. Uh, we, we did that. And ultimately, uh, Doug Craig actually found a, a solicitor who actually did a legal opinion, uh, which basically said uh, it wasn't a conflict. And I subsequently used the same, I got an opinion similar to that. Uh, Tom got back in earlier and um, so we both well, Tom, yeah. What, what was interesting, Tom, is just to explain to, to people listening with the conflicts where mine was that I directly owned an interest in property right on the line within like really close to a, a couple of stops, actually. And um, and my wife did, too. So if you, you or your spouse have an interest that and if a, if a municipal action will benefit or is a detriment, either way, you can't vote on uh, the issue. In your case, it was children with some property. Uh, near a stop. Uh, uh, Doug's was similar. He had a son that owned uh, a townhouse that was near the uh, Ainsley stop. Right. And Tom's conflict, interestingly, was because he was employed by the University of Waterloo. Right. So, so he, he took, he, but Tom, Tom, interesting, after the vote to support uh, the uh, ION or light rail transit, he then said, Pretty well, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going ahead. And if somebody wants to bring a court action suggesting that my conflict is influencing me, go ahead. Yeah. And your situation in Doug's, and I, I can I can say for listeners too, my associate helped out with that, uh, where we were able to, in Doug's case, um, we went to court and basically you can get a judge to say, look, this interest is so remote that if, if there's no way that that's going to influence, or I don't believe that's going to influence your decision-making on this issue. Right. So well, the irony at the time was in one of my other call, one of my other regional chair colleagues, uh, 
actually in, in another region which will remain nameless, lived in a condo which was 30 feet, uh, 30 feet from one of the one of the rapid transit stations. Right. And did personally declare- and there was no issue raised there at all, yeah, none yeah. whatsoever. You know, it's what I found that um, with a lot of people, uh, you, you see this sometimes, especially with new people that are just coming into politics, but sometimes they're not really thinking about the municipal conflict of interest issues don't always come up because there's a, even though it's only like about 15 sections long, it's a very short act. Mm-hmm. There's a large body of case law yeah. <laughs> surrounding that. And uh, people sometimes that and the code of conduct uh, or the uh, uh, bylaws on procedures for council meetings, people just don't take the time to review those sorts of things to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it was interesting. And, and in fact, remember the time city of Kitchener was having a discussion and then there's about half of them had to declare, declared a conflict as well right. yeah. <laughs> on the issue. But anyway, we worked through all of those conflicts. So now, now you've got to decide uh, I remember seeing some of the stuff, even though I wasn't participating, I saw information um, where you had various route options to consider uh, in, in, in after the election of 2010. Well, there, there are variations on the theme as to where, where some of the, yeah. some fine tuning of it, you know, right. we broke up the route uh, going, instead of going down King Street and Kitchener, we split it between Charles and Duke Street. Uh, you know, there had been pressure instead of going to the University of Waterloo to bring it down King Street through Laurier. That was that was not done. Uh, most of the, most of the routing was pretty fine tuning by that stage of the game because the environmental assessment had been pretty much done. So, um, right. There were, oh, so you just yeah, yeah you relied on the environmental assessment from the uh, 04, 05, 06 uh, period. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, and then. But you had to come up with a Cambridge solution or something for Cambridge, right? In order, well, we, to we had a we had a preliminary uh, route for Cambridge, but we said that uh, obviously there would have to be a new environmental assessment done uh, to finalize that route because we weren't proceeding with it. And as you know, environmental assessments become dated after a certain period of time anyway. So we knew that the the Cambridge leg would come later. So we we agreed that we would uh, we would uh, fine tune that route when we got closer. When, once once the the first phase was up and running. We would start the, the environmental assessment to finalize the second phase, and that was done. Right. Council has approved that now. And that's sort of yeah, that's been going on. But but in order to you came up with the rapid bus solution for Cambridge, or was that always part of the uh, package? That that became part of the package. It was actually wasn't necessary, but I think that uh, regional council felt at the time that. If, if Cambridge, if we couldn't uh, get the funding or do that to, for the LRT in Cambridge in the first phase, we should at least give them some partial benefit of, of it. And w- remember, we have to build up the, the ridership in the South right. end and create some investment opportunity and some living opportunity there. So we put in a rapid transit, a modified bu- rapid transit bus system in Cambridge, which would yeah. move people very quickly up. It was actually operating, I think, two years before the LRT opened. Yeah, it, it operated sooner. Plus, you were giving them like was a million dollars a year over a certain number of plus, years plus plus a million dollars a year to go Cambridge could spend as they wanted to try and uh, intensify development in the core area and they use it for a variety of things so <laughs> we, <laughs> won't we, we won't go down we won't go down, down that, that rabbit hole right now <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so now you've got a route um you've got a number of conflicts and it was interesting because I, I was looking at some of the newspaper articles from back then and it said the vote was nine to two. And I'm thinking, why was it nine to two? And then I realized it was because we had four, uh, four conflicts 
So that would bring it up to that's 11, that's 15. And then Jane wasn't there. I think Jane was absent or she sent a letter of support, but we couldn't accept it because she wasn't uh, physically present. Yeah. We weren't doing Zoom uh, meetings back then. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. (laughs) But what's always surprised me is um, during the discussion of ION, the tech community was strongly supportive of uh, ION and and, and saw it as part of a connection to Toronto eventually when when that improved, right? right? And yet the mayor for Waterloo voted against ION. Do you have any insight on that issue? I do, but not one that I'll <laughs> comment on. <laughs> Just in general, is it like that? Because I've had Brenda on, and Brenda said it was because you know people she was seeing uh, during the elections were telling her no, and I think she felt more people were saying no than yes. Well, certain people were saying no. Okay. Um, so sometimes in politics, the certain the people we see might guide us uh, a certain way. Right. I mean, there were certainly a vociferous group in Waterloo uh, that that uh, had Brenda in their corner. Okay. I'll just leave it at that. All right. Okay. I mean, in, in fact, uh, well, enough said. <laughs> okay. So now, now construction uh, or things are starting to move ahead. You're, right. you're purchasing land. You've got, you know, you're, you're well, you're, for, um, oh, the, the term uh, escapes me now. Uh, f- uh, for, uh, P- not for, oh, the uh, P3? Yeah, well, you did the P3, which I think was a good move. What was your view on that? Um, I have mixed feelings about P3s. Um, I think the jury's still out on P3s. Uh, and, uh, We'll see when Ottawa finishes and when the when all the dust settles in Waterloo, whether the P3 was successful or not. Um, and and just, just for everyone listening, just explain what P3 is. A P3 is a private-public partnership uh, arrangement whereby the private sector takes on certain, whatever elements you decide. So in, in the case of the regional proposal, it was uh, design, build, and operate the system. Uh, the region still owns it, but they, the, they, the private sector would do that and you'd contract with them to do it. And the whole theory is that the private sector assumes risk. And, you know, it's based on the idea that the public sector can never do anything well. Only private sector people can do things well. That's in theory what's supposed to happen. Well, you'll, you'll get some people that agree with that, right? <laughs> well, I asked them in Ottawa. <laughs> ask them in Ottawa and... Um, Take a look at what happened in our own region, you know, to some degree. Uh, well, 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 I think the jury's still out a lot of that, and I think sure. that, I think a lot of the P three work uh, across Canada, and in some some capital projects, it's been very successful, and other capital projects, it's been less successful. Right. Because once, uh, as I say, the whole idea is the private sector assumes some of the risk, and it depends on how much risk they're prepared to assume. And at the end of the day, you'll you'll get some accounting of that, and yeah, so. It's an issue of, of what level of risk are you prepared to take on? And, and, and that can be difficult for people on the local, at the local level to, to make that decision, right? Yeah. Well, so you went with, what was Ontario? Ontario, there was, wasn't there an Ontario infrastructure or something? Or infrastructure that, that, Ontario? Yeah. Right, so they, they were consultants on the project, but they didn't undertake the project, which is different than what was happening in Hamilton or which is happening in Mississauga where infrastructure Ontario and actually, the uh, the uh, line that's being built in Toronto right now—they're all being built directly by Infrastructure Ontario. 
in our case, they were just consultants. We were the we were the prime party to the to the deal, uh, and we they helped us negotiate the terms and, and agreements. Right, right, right. So once the once you got through all of that, and it's it's you know it's well on its way. We've got the 2014 election, and you know Jay Issa was a major opponent started the lawsuits, dropped the lawsuits, ran the election. Tell me about the 2014 election. He didn't election. drop the lawsuit. He was, uh, the, the courts determined that. Okay. The, the, oh, thank you for clarifying. I, I knew it didn't go ahead, but sure. The, the court said what? This is, uh, what, not worthy of proceeding? Well, they, they threw his application out and awarded costs. Yeah. Okay. So, but he still ran, he ran in the 2014 election. What was that like for you? Well, uh, most people will remember the 2014 election. It wasn't a very pleasant event. Um, the, um, a lot of money was spent. Uh, there were outside organizers brought in to do it. It wasn't your typical Waterloo Region uh, campaign. Right. People will remember their advertising and the, the, the robocalls and the, the advertising and the wolf calls and all the other things that went on. And um, a lot of print material. Uh, a lot of money was spent, and uh, at the end of the day, um, people rejected that. Yeah, and I mean, uh, by 2014, wasn't the, as we say the horse out of the barn already? I mean, well, the contract had been let, and there was some preliminary work had started, but the thought was that well, I could ca- just cancel for the project. And uh, but I think as much as anything, the, the the tenor and the nature of the campaign was wasn't what people in Waterloo Region appreciate it or want it. Sure. Yeah, no, negative, negative is not good. And uh, I know I went through that on my own uh, election campaign where uh, the other side went completely negative and many people would come up and say, don't go negative. You know, that's not what we like to see. So that's one thing I'll credit the uh, good folks in the Waterloo region is we don't like to see those negative sort of campaigns. Right. So, um, what let's talk about we're just going to sort of wrap up soon but i just want to talk about you know we're we're in these uh pandemic times transit ridership is down now after after you know prior to march i mean the numbers were fantastic right uh do you, any thoughts on the future uh with respect to uh ion and uh what what's happening yeah. Well, I, I think transit ridership will rebound, and I think we're in a unique position here, particularly because we have three post-secondary edu- uh, institutions. Yeah, students rely very heavily on transit, and uh, we have a very mobile labor force here. So my my gut is that uh, once we get past the pandemic and things start to return to normal, that ridership will will, will return to normal. There'll maybe some who won't come back, but. By and large, I think there will, and that the population growth still continues to, the population is still growing in this region. Yeah. And so I think I think that the growth plus the return of riders will, will bode well for the system, I think. You, you've got to be feel pretty proud about the development that's going on. Like some of these condo developments, 30 stories high uh, in, in the core area. Well, I, I, think, I think we've been leaders in the province in, in putting a hard edge on development. And uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of lot of writing about well, there were gent- there's a gentrification going along along the corridor, but the reality is, for more, at least from my perspective, is that one of the problems of building affordable housing was that 
there wasn't transit access enough transit accessible lands at a reasonable cost outside the center core area. Right, right. And so with, with the ion plus re 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 uh, jigging the whole surface transit system and expanding it, we've yes. now opened up much more land that for affordable housing to be built. So nonprofit groups who want to build affordable housing projects could never could never buy in the core in the first place. Yeah, but they couldn't find land elsewhere. Now there's better transit. Their ability to find sites is is enhanced out there, and um, and I realize and quite frankly, if you take a look at the developments that are going up right now, they're they're they haven't they're in empty sites or redeveloped yes. sites. They're yep. they're not in neighborhoods. They're not ripping down houses. It's and interesting like, you say that. It it reminds me because I had uh, I did a podcast with uh, Richard Christie. And he commented on a similar thing about looking at Kitchener and some of the developments saying it's, it's largely a lot of empty sites that are being developed. And I think that it's similar. You just said that it's like identical to what he had said as well. Yeah, there's very little displacement. And if, 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 if nothing else of this prods people that are still in government to do more affordable housing, that's great. Because if anybody's ever been any of any of those houses that are in the core area that are housing people, you'd be embarrassed have put anybody in there they're pretty bad yeah yeah some of them were just uh terrible yeah yeah i know i i'm involved with a co-op group that uh is looking at trying to develop sean campbell is one of the leaders of this group that's trying to develop uh uh, uh, put together a group that'll uh, provide uh, donate money to purchase and build and there's some other projects going on so i'm sure as i'm sure you're confident waterloo region will come up with a as Jim Weidman always liked to say, the Waterloo solution to uh, working on the affordable housing situation here. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough nut for everybody, whether, uh, uh, but I'm sure that there'd be added impetus to do it. And as I say, I think much more land, redevelopable land is now opened up with better transit. We don't have to everybody in the core because now transit's much more expensive. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, you know, that's, that's really broadening the thinking and something I hadn't really thought about myself, but it's a great point. Uh, once you, once you create more accessible transit, you open up so many opportunities uh, for people. And I remember during the last campaign for regional chair, I took a ride on the on transit for the day. And the, the mix of people that you see there, that you're seeing the people of this community, yeah. uh, the diversity of this community, who people who rely on transit to get to their jobs, uh, to get to their volunteer opportunities, to get to their schooling. And the, the more you can expand that out, uh, the better it is for yeah. sure. That's great. Yeah. Well, listen, Ken, uh, Thanks for being part of this second podcast. Uh, we'll definitely uh, have to have you back because okay. uh, you know you got such a great wealth of knowledge and you're an easy you're an easy chat. So anyway, <laughs> take care. All right? Okay, see you, Ken. Okay, so uh, thank you again for uh, listening to another edition of the Old Gray Mayors. Uh, my name is Rob Deutschman. I want to thank my friend Alex Kinsella for uh, putting it all together and making the magic happen. And you, the listener, for taking the time to listen. And again, if you have any issue or topic or person that you think uh, would be an interesting interview, please feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to make it all happen. Mm-hmm.